Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of dream chasers and wealth makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. And today I'm very pleased to have in the studio my business partner, Tish Burbaum. Tish, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on the show, Bart. So great. Of course, of course. Well, it's that time. It's time for us to talk about 2023, what we what we should be looking for. And the topic of today is five keys to investing in 2023. So I think that's I think- perfect timing. By the, timing, by the way, right? Bart, just because we're starting off the year and every, it's on everyone's mind. Exactly. And I don't think we can start 2023 without kind of recapping 2022. And and um, let's just face it, it was a turbulent <sighs> year. Yeah. yeah. You know, as you know, Tish, it was the worst year for bonds in the history of, of bond recorded history. So we were dealing with that. And we also, as you know, since the first time in 45 years that stocks and bonds were both negative in the same year. And as you and I design portfolios, we have you know, multiple asset classes, but for the most part, you know, stocks and bonds, those are, those are primary. And um, we use bonds to help reduce volatility and, and um, gain income. And it was a tough year. And I think it was tougher for those that implement more of the 60-40 portfolio which means 60% stocks, 40% bonds, because there was no way, no, no, nothing to make money. Fortunately, we use other asset classes and we're able to um, um, offset that with, with some other asset classes like real assets and alternatives. But with that said, um, let's talk about some concepts and ideas for 2023. So before you do that, do you mind if I just add a couple points real quick? Please do. Okay. Um, those of you who know Bart and I, we like to interrupt each other, but I more interrupt him. So this is this is pretty typical. But what I wanted to say was, in summary with what you just said, is there was no place to hide. The traditional steps that people put in place for, let's use the word security and protection and, and reducing their risk. These are key words. Just think of a safe play, like what Bart just said, there was no place to hide. And so um, a lot of people are probably just now opening statements from whatever institution that they have their money invested. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's that feeling of, you know, what, what, what do we, where are we now? And how do we get to see 2023 going forward? And what, what kind of vision or what kind of spotlight can you add to that? And I wanna add one more thing just because compliance loves us is when we're talking about these concepts, we're not talking about you specifically, whoever's listening, we're talking about generality and your specific investment objective is going to really be more in line with what's your, what's what you have specifically in your life. So we're just talking high level and, and big picture. So just, sorry, Bart, I'd love to hear about 2023's outlook. So let's do that. And before I go further, I just wanted to, again, uh, kind of us playing off of each other. So um, as far as no place to hide, there were areas and pockets that were making money. Um, we had yep. 
treasury bills that we utilize that make money, yeah. um, natural resources, pockets of real estate. So right. just wanted to, as a point of clarification, um, your I think your point was very relevant to the classic 60-40, where there yeah. was not the use of those other assets. So just a generality. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. And, okay. and I think another thing just to throw out there, Bart, like some major things was inflation. We haven't seen inflation like that in, in years and years. So just, you know, those are some major indicators that started off this, this conversation. Yeah. And actually, those are great lead ins into 2023, um, at least our thoughts on it. So, yeah, the, the kind of the factors we were dealing against were, of course, rising interest rates. And that's what killed bonds, uh, inflation. Um, the talk of a possible recession. So those things are still in conversations today. Now, we know by now that inflation has cooled off a bit. It's gone down mm -hmm. significantly. We'll see how things go. Um, interest rates, it seems to the the level of rate increases seems to have softened. Mm -hmm. These are all I think, good signs going forward. Um, right. Uh, again, we'll see how it plays out, but I think those are good signs that we're probably, you know, I, you know, my broad statements, but this one is we're closer to the end than we are the beginning. So, yeah. And, and one thing I want to point out when you're, you're saying, I think it's something super important. You actually, we talk about this all the time with clients, but in generality is when you're talking about, um, interest rates and inflation when you're using these terms, we're talking about the market in general as a leading indicator. So maybe you just want, can you just spend one second explaining that? Because I think that the things that we're about to jump into, actually, um, that kind of gives more of an understanding of why that's so important. Yeah, I think the, the general public has the conception or perception rather that Hey, we're going into recession, so the stock market and my portfolio is going to do poorly, right? So that again, okay. common common perception. When the reality is, if we use the stock market uh, from an economic standpoint, it is what is known as a leading indicator. So, meaning the stock market started to do poorly before we ever entered the recession. Which, by the way, technically, depending on who you listen to, we have not. It has not been announced that we're in a recession. Maybe right. this quarter. Now, I think it's arguable over the last few quarters, I've heard indications that would make me say we're in a recession, but for purposes of formalities, we're not in a recession. Mm -hmm. Stock market has gone down. And as we know, it was pretty significant last year. Right. Uh, but from your point as a leading indicator, let's just throw this out there. Let's say that by the end of Q1, it's announced the United States is in a recession. Big, large, yeah. doesn't matter. By that time, the stock market it was will most likely have gone through its worst phases and at some point prior to the economy coming out of a recession the stock market will start to rebound right i mean as we speak today it's not a bar it's it, we can't use this as an indicator but we've had an, an amazing january um i mean there are statistics that would back that uh as to how the year would do which i'm we're not going to use uh, in your famous words we don't want to get in trouble with compliance, but we've had a good January and, and we'll just hope that uh, some of that continues. And one more thing I just want to just point out there, because I think this is super important. And just for the people out there, they're like, Tish, I don't even know what, what that means. And so I feel like sometimes breaking it down and simplifying it, but I want to just use things specifically so people understand, like when they're saying 
okay, how is the U.S. economy? People are looking at GDP and they're looking at inflation and they're looking at how they're increasing their interest rates and they're looking at job employment and looking at the housing market. Those are very specific indicators when they're giving us updates. And then that's when the market internalizes that and then also then reacts. And that's how we're, what you're saying is setting that tone for what's going on in the market, essentially. Yeah, I think that's a great, def- that's a great explanation. Okay. OK, without further ado. So what's uh, five keys, Bart? Five keys. And before we get to key number one, a little background, it's probably quite obvious that in the 2010s, let's say, okay. um, post-2009, it's all been about growth. We know that the highest um, highest performance of any companies and stocks have been growth and technology oriented. And when we say growth, and to you, what you like to do is help define for those who are uh, may not have as much of a background. Thank you. Someone, if, if a stock has is considered a growth stock, that means it it has a it sells for a price and in the future it sells for a higher price i've way oversimplified they may have gone for sale at 10 bucks and later on it sells for 12 13 15 that's the price per share is the goal for it to go up right um total return as you and i know are made up of two components okay which is capital appreciation yes bought for 10 bucks, sold for 15 bucks. That's your capital appreciation. But there's also a dividend and that's income. So total return is growth and income. For most of the 2010s, we have not seen much on the income side. Most of the best performing stocks have been primarily growth. What we're seeing now, even on our portfolios last year, the best performers were those that generate a dividend. Those are usually larger companies that rely less on growth, rely less on financing. They usually take on less debt. So the rising interest rates affect them a little bit less and they generate a dividend. So a shareholder who owns that stock every quarter can expect a dividend similar to a bond, although instead of coming from a loan, it's coming from their ownership position in that company. So, distributing the profits instead of the stock price necessarily just correct. going up. They're distributing the profits in a form of a dividend. So as I finally unveil point number one, which is to make dividends a bigger part of one's portfolio. And um, I think that's good. I'm glad that you spent time, Bart, explaining what the dividend is. So then that way people understand this point. So thank you. What does that mean? My- it's not my first uh, show with you, so I'm learning now that definition is often required. <laughs> <laughs> so as, a, as um, an example of more history, during the 2010, so I mean 2010 through the end of 21, because 22 was, was, was a not a fun year, um, dividends accounted for uh, only 16%, so percent of the total return of the S&P 500 index. If I said that alone, it wouldn't mean anything. What does on that mean? Average, to... So ahead. on average, okay. uh, the, historically, um, dividends make up 38% of the total return. So that's a much higher, much more significant portion of the return. And if we look at an inflationary environment like in the 70s, yeah. dividends made up 70, over 70% of the performance 
of, a, of an equity during that time period. Got it. So with for those three uh, reasons, um, that's a great um, backdrop for why we think larger dividend paying equities should be a portion of a larger, perhaps a larger portion of an equity portfolio for this year going forward. So you're participating in companies that are growing, they're distributing their profits, you're getting an income in the form of a dividend, and the companies potentially could still be growing at a slower pace, maybe we don't know what that might look like. So it might help with the overall portfolio for a client, essentially. That is the that's the theory and the strategy. Yes. Great. And again, and if we look, we can we can say we can look at 2022 and if we compare the growth stocks to the dividend stocks, there was a significant difference in return with the dividend stocks performing significantly better. So, Bart, this is great data and great information. Where are we getting the facts that you're quoting? Great question. It is from the S&P Dow Jones Indices LLC. Love it. So point number two um, needs to really uh, be given serious consideration, but also I think needs to be thought about carefully. Um, okay. I know that sounded complicated, uh, but this is to look more seriously at your investing internationally. So Tish is going to say to me, well, Bart, we as a, as a portfolio manager, we reduced our international exposure last year, which is exactly true. Um, and That's exactly what I was going to say. I knew you were going to say that. Um, my point is, if we look historically, and that's part of how we manage money, we have to look at different time periods. We have to look historically, how did things perform? We know that over time, international or, or international stocks, definition of that is companies that are based outside of the United States. Uh, there are years where they perform better than stocks based in the United States. I think that there are reasons going forward where, um, the U.S. I think may have a leg up going forward, but I think what needs to be carefully considered is looking at companies that you and I know are multinational, yeah. which means they do business regardless of where they're domiciled. They do business all over the world, right? Um, and so that's called a bottom-up approach, meaning right. hey, we have an allocation towards international, so let's make sure we find something that's in Italy. Well, no. Let's find a good company, uh, does business all around the world, maybe based in Italy, but maybe a very small percentage of the business comes from Italy. I'm just picking on them as, as an example. And the company I'm thinking about is um, Luxar, uh, luxury eyewear uh, maker Essilor Luxottica. So they are an Italian company, uh, yeah. but very little, but most primary, the, most of their business is done outside of Italy. So Got that's it. called bottom up. And so if you're looking, I, we, we, you know, you and I continue to think we need to have companies that are based outside of the United States, but we will take a bottom up approach and looking for companies that do business outside of their domicile country. Sorry. And we're not supporting that one specific one. We're just using it as an example. But that being said, what you just expressed is still a nice diversification to a portfolio. So you're not only getting um, exposure to companies in the United States. You're also getting exposures to companies internationally, but you're being intentional, being specific. You're making sure that that, that uh, company has the ability to 
maybe withstand um, market conditions as well, because people might want to continue to buy those products regardless, right? I mean, that's another right. point. Exactly, exactly right. Point number three is going to sound, I think, a lot of these points are going to sound maybe contrary to how we started this this talk today. But point number three is is take a good look at your, your bond portfolio and maybe it's time to start buying bonds. Well, the counter to that is Barton Tish, you just said it was the worst bond year, you know, in the history of recorded bonds. Interest in rates 2022. Are, in 2022, interest rates are rising and potentially are still going to rise. But what is our, first of all, Tish, what is our, our investment committee, our, our, our chief oh investment my gosh. what is his famous last words? The new zero. We're at a so, new zero. Start from zero. Today is zero. Today is zero. What does so, that look like going forward? So, uh, so 2023, January is our new zero? So today's our new zero. Whatever today is, when people <laughs> look at it, today is the new zero. And if we quote Warren Buffett, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful yeah. when others are greedy. So yeah. bonds right have gotten beat up. And one of our, our bond managers, it helps us uh, with our, our municipal bonds. Yeah. He said it was both the, when we spoke to him about a month ago, it was a terrible year, right? Yeah. They, they, they powered through, but also he's having the most fun buying bonds at the best prices yeah. with growing rates than he's ever had his entire 40 year career. Right. So this is the time. Um, again, I think we need to be careful. You look at your core holdings. You, know, you and I, we went into treasuries and I think that was a great thing to do at the time. I think now with the day one or day zero of, of moving forward, now that we're able to buy bonds at their at their uh, lower price levels yeah. uh, and higher yields, yeah. uh, I think that uh, it's an amazing time. And I think we need to look at that more seriously, which you and I are in our portfolios. And I and I think if you're going to add to that, something to say is like, you know, this is me and my compliance at everyone looks at investments slightly different. But what you're suggesting is you're not saying all or nothing you're saying is, OK, maybe now might be a great time to start re-exploring back into the bond allocation that we once changed because of the increasing of inflation and interest rates. Now, as we're seeing that more stabilized, now might be a great time for us to start reevaluating that and then not be afraid to make changes when others are maybe like you said, Warren Buffett, don't be fearful to make a change. That opportunity is present. You have to be able to move forward. So working with your advisors like ourselves, if you don't know exactly what to do and when to do it, happy to have that conversation and walk through that with you. But this is um, like what you're saying. It's, we're getting this data and based on statistics and, and um, this research, being able to come up with our, our point of view and our opinion on this. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm kind of going over our notes here. And, and as I look at number four, I'm also think I'm realizing it should be actually 3.5 because it's very connected to number three with bonds and yeah. tap into the credit markets for higher income. I mean, you and I just recently had a meeting with one of our favorite um, groups, Capital Group. Um, and when we asked him, OK, what's what's the best thing you got to offer today? And he went into the bonds and, you know, we looked at each other and go, here we go. <laughs> Getting, give me something. Give me something fun, exciting. Um, Back to bonds. Yeah, from where they sit, it's it's really just an extension of what we said about uh, core bonds. 
you know, the credit, um, like high yield bonds. And his point about high yield bonds were never in history have high yield bonds had two negative years in a row. So 2022, pretty significantly negative. Again, we're not forecasting, projecting, or, or saying what's going to happen in 2023, but that's an interesting fact. And I mean, if we're looking at credit, and I mentioned T-bills earlier, um, you know, currently T-bills, 10-year T-bills are over 3.5%. Do you remember what they were just 12 months ago? I was actually going to bring that up. I mean, less than a half a percent, one percent. I mean, at the end of the day, it was a nothing burger. <laughs> yeah, a nothing burger. You're still in my turn. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's pretty significant. And to have the full faith and credit of the U.S. government uh, behind and having that sort of return is a great um uh yield for a portion of the safety portion of the portfolio safety and income portion well i mean if you think about it when it's something like a bond that you're you're describing with because of like a t-bill which is the treasury bill and it wasn't um very attractive at the time and then now all of a sudden it's the buzz but when something is providing you more of a consistent um return at a lower we use our in our in our industry volatile um, position that is fantastic for people to be able to have investment options in the bond market again and being able to have some high rates so there's there's some we like to use this this term a lot we're making lemonade out of the lemons and with inflation and interest going up it does mean that you can take on some additional strategies into your portfolio um, that we might not have been able to take on, um, you know, even last year. Right. right. You know, I, I'm reminded of something and maybe I should have brought this up earlier, but it's related to what you talked about inflation and interest rates. It, there's a surprising element in this whole circumstance, you know, like, um, big layoffs, even though the yeah. unemployment numbers came in lower, you and I were scratching our heads along with our, our capital group, um, colleague, like that seems a little bit odd. Yeah. Um, higher inflation yeah. last year significantly higher better this year softening of interest rates or interest rates but the uh, consumer spending has been resilient has not slowed down has, people are still i get on an airplane it's full oh. people are traveling yeah. people are buying the and i know that there's an issue of supply and demand but um a friend of mine was looking to buy a high-end car and there was a significant dealer markup on the car um interest rates on, on cars are higher it's just it's fascinating to me and i know to you that yeah so resilient don't know if it's going to last forever but it's interesting and you and i have had many um shows actually recently about behavioral finance and it's an interesting element this is something we'll probably loop in on one of one of those shows but if you kind of think about it you know, after our economy has gone through so much over the last few years and people maybe being limited, limited to travel, limited to spending, limited to doing the things that they wanted to do, it's almost like it's new to them again. And they're right. like, let's let's go out, let's do something because they just haven't done it in a long time and they wanted that experience. And so maybe that some of that is driving it even more than, you know, affordability. So we'll see. Well, we continue to monitor it. It's just like you said, the numbers are just quite interesting how they're all over the board. The witches are not as um, usually a little more consistent. So this is an interesting time. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, as we approach the end of time, it's perfect for the final point. And this is something that you and I have talked about for years, and it really is, this is not the time to sit on the sidelines. Right. right? This is a time of opportunity. As our, our OCIO says, you know, this is, we're starting from zero here. It's a great time. And we have been, yeah. you and I and our team have been, uh, have been opportunistic, you know, nationally yep. over $160 million from May of, to May of 2022 to the end of the year have moved the money market. Those people have no indication, I, from what I know, have no indication of going, of when they're going to go back in the market. They've, right. if they are still out of the market, they missed about a 10% run up in January. Yep. It has not been documented of anyone that has been successfully over time able to time the market over and over and over again. We've said that we've stated these facts and they it kind of is a moving target, but just missing a few good days in the market can have a significant um, um, tick on your performance. Yeah. Right. I mean, a long term effect by missing it. And so, like you said, it's 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 not it's not, um, you know, sometimes you have to take in consideration of your your risk your objectives, your goals, and then your fear. And then if you feel like, you know what, I, I want to work with a team to help me navigate this because I, I'm just going to say sometimes people do really well when everything is doing really well until that changes. And then you need something more strategic in place. And then, you know, you don't know what that looks like in, in timing and in structure and your goals and objectives. So um, again, uh, I think what you're saying is fantastic part of being just being aware and being present of the decisions and not just sitting back and waiting because you could potentially miss those great days by just waiting too long. Exactly. And I think, you know, related to that is, is I think it's very important to look not short term, look at the longer term. I know it's almost seems cliche, but yeah. if you look at three year or five year increments, um, it's more representative of what your portfolio return is versus one year, both up or down. If you have right. a significantly high year one year, that's not necessarily representative of what the rest of your portfolio life is going to be. Right. Things, average up, average, you know, things are up, things are down, and the average this will smooth out the, yeah. the overall returns. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Good points, Bart. Very good. All right, Tish, what was your takeaway from today as we close up? Um. Don't sit on the sidelines. Tap into the credit markets and making sure that we're taking advantage of high income yields, making sure that my bond portfolio is structured so I'm participating in the opportunity for us to continue to grow going forward. And then make sure that I'm not just invested in U.S. I'm also invested in international, but being strategic about my international and then also focus on the bonds. So if you hear the pages turning in the background, it's because I made sure I covered all five of your key investment uh, ideas for 2023. You are an excellent note taker. I'll take it. Hey. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank everyone who has tuned in. Um, we have many more shows to come. We're open to your ideas. Please reach out to us and let us know what kind of things you want to hear about this year. We look forward to being back in the studio again next week. Have a good, good day. Cheers. 
Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value.